Well, just to a few words of introduction for Dr. Gomshe, for those that don't know of him. Um, formerly director of the National Library of Iran in the early 80s. He studied Arabic literature, philosophy, theology at the University of Tehran, where he got his PhD in Islamic theology and philosophy in 1965 from Tehran University. And then for about 10 years, over 10 years, he was employed as the translator for the Iranian Ministry of Foreign Affairs. This is before the revolution, specializing in Arabic and English texts. Um, his publications include uh, collected articles, which, as far as I know, some 30,000 copies. He just published this last year, and 30,000 copies were sold. And, and had to be reprinted, what, four or five times? In Persian. In Persian, yes. So we hope that maybe in the English something similar can be done. Um, he's translated, he's edited uh, the discourses of Rumi in Persian, and um, uh, a, a sort of an abbreviated version of these discourses, as well as the the Manteco the, the 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 conference of the birds in Persian, and sort of introduced it and published that, and um, numerous other books. He's translated a book on Shakespeare and the theater into into. Um, Persian, and has lectured widely on philosophy, on theology, on mysticism. And uh, recently, last year, he was in Los Angeles where he gave, I, I believe, a series of lectures for about three weeks, 40 lectures in three weeks. <laughs> so, how, how many? 14. Well, it, when I, I, was at, I was at the University of Glasgow with him last year. And the man who was introducing him made that mistake, so, uh, so I'm sorry. And then at the Temenos Academy in 1995, he gave us 10 seminars on Rumi, on the art and wisdom of storytelling in Rumi's Masnavi and philosophical doctrines and spiritual teachings of Rumi, which are available from the Academy. And um, from here, you can, you can buy them from Stephen Overy. The tapes. Yeah, yeah. So, um, in any case, I think uh, that Dr. Gomshi has always given us spiritual food, and I'm sure he will continue to do so for many more years. Please give him a warm welcome. Oh, he's just bringing the board so that I could use it for certain explanations about the rhythm of uh, the works of Nizami. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and pardon me for making a mistake about the time of lecture and I hope that I can recompense myself and you by adding a part of the time of Nizami which is ever a happy time to our time. Every time that I come here and Dr. Kathleen Rain kindles the candle 
my heart is also kindled to know that in every corner of the world there are people who are lovers of the light, of love, of wisdom, of imagination. And actually Nizami, who is going to be introduced in four sessions, he says that what I have done is to keep the candle afire. I have suffered so much to keep the candle afire, alight. نگه دارم به چندین اوستادی چراغی را در این طوفان بادی in this stormy weather I have tried because his time was really a time of upheavals social and political and it was such a stormy weather and he kept the candle alight به چندین اوستادی now, I wonder what, I, what can I say about a poet of whom Western scholars have said he is so ponderously great poet that you cannot ontologize him. Any ontologizing is doing injustice to him. And what can I say of a poet? His rivals have said of him that he has not left anything for us to say. Midad chunazm namera peach baqi nagozasht bahr mahich when he was composing his quintet, the five books. He didn't leave anything worthwhile for us to say. That is why we are just imitating and repeating what he has already said. I remember that the same thing has been said by Goethe about Shakespeare, that he has not left anything for other poets to say. And what can I say of Nizami, again, of whom they have said, he has expended an art or wisdom or knowledge in every line. He has not left any single line of his poetry without some refinement, without some wisdom, without some artistry, without some knowledge expended in it. در هر بیتی که درج کردی علمی به کمال خرج کردی So what I can do actually is to give you a taste of Nizami and as a Persian poet says یک ذره ز حسن لیلیت بنمایم عاقل باشم اگر تو مجنون نشوی I'll just show you a little bit of the beauty of Layli and then may I be crazy if you don't go mad Nizami is the greatest romantic poet of Persia, surely. And some also believe that he is uh, the greatest poet ever existed in Persia. Your father have said that, yes. 
yeah, Mr. Professor Assar, who was actually more than professor because in the traditional studies, uh, these professors were all uh, students. Well, I personally believe that uh, Ferdowsi is in many respects greater, but at least Nizami is his equal because he is not a follower of Ferdowsi. He is the most original of Persian poets, of course, except Rumi, who is even more original, is more iconoclast. He is uh, really different from all poets in the world. But Nizami is most original. He has not said anything you have heard before, even though he is uh, well in the tradition of Islamic culture and Iranian literature. But whatever he has said has the mark of his own personality. In fact, he has a very beautiful poem in Khosrow Shirin, one of his tragedies, that Tlesme Khishra as Ham Gosastam, I tore my spell, my charm, the charm of my being, the spell of my being, into many pieces. And then I tied one piece to every line of my poetry. Tlesme Khishra as Ham Gosastam, به هر بیتی نشانی باز بستم پس از صد سال اگر گویی کجا او زهر بیتی ندا آید که ها او If after a hundred years you say where is Nizami every line would answer yes here is Nizami and he says that if you happen to come to my tomb if you happen to come to my dust for visiting don't think that I am dead there under the earth, but I will come from heaven to see you. Consider me, think of me as alive, like yourself. Because if you come by your body, I will come by my soul. Nizami belongs to the 6th century or Islamic uh, era and uh, it is equal to 12th century. About his birth and his death there is much discussion and it is not sure neither his birth nor his death. Although much has been said in praise of him, nobody has thought of his uh, biography and his life and we have very little knowledge and facts about his life. We know that uh, he was probably, not surely of course, probably born in um, a village near Qom in Iran, most in the center of Iran. I think again it was Mr. Assar who said that he was not from Ganjay but from Qom. Uh, he is uh, from the center of Iran and then his father migrated to Ganje, which is now in uh, Azerbaijan, which was a part of uh, Soviet Union. And now it is um, an independent uh, republic.
and so he himself calls himself a poet from Ganje, although he was not born in Ganje, and but he died in Ganje, and he married three times, which is not too much for those days. But he was a faithful father and a faithful husband, and he was a very refined person in his behavior. And he has combined certain things which are usually uh, contradicting, and uh, you can scarcely see them together. He was an ascetic. He had renounced the pleasures of the world most of the time, particularly when he was young. And he was a lover of solitude, and he had uh, passed through many chelle. Chelle is the 40 days when the Sufi travelers uh, renounce the whole world and they are in their own solitude of meditation and thinking and reciting and uh, other rituals. So he says that uh, I have gone through 50 chelle, 2,000 days of meditation particularly when he was young. But at the same time, he is jolly without fanaticism, without any restrictions, without any prejudice to other religions. He was a very religious person and devoted to the uh, basic teachings of Islam. But he was so... Uh, far from any prejudice and he was even more than tolerant. He respected the ideas and beliefs of other religions, and he has often praised other religions and creeds. And he is a poet who has never tasted wine, as he himself says, the wines of grape. But uh, he is the first person who has... Uh, created a tavern, a divine tavern in Persian literature, and the tradition of Saginame means uh, songs of uh, the minstrels, Saginame, sorry, songs of the uh, cupbearer, and also songs of the minstrels, Saginame and Moganiname. Moganiname is, uh, is actually... Uh, a kind of poetry in Persia when you constantly call the minstrel, oh minstrel, tell us the story of so-and-so, oh minstrels, sing us such-and-such such songs. So constantly calling uh, the minstrel so that we would drive away the cares, cares of the world. Oh minstrel, tell us the word, as uh, it is said in English. Uh, it is by William Blake, I think, that uh, uh, here the bard Who's, who has heard, if I'm right, who has heard uh, the word, the holy word. So, uh, Nizami constantly uh, calls or invokes the muse. The muse is Saqi in Persian literature. Uh, instead of calling the muse, they call the Saqi or the minstrel or the bard. So, 
I think it's good to, of course, we are going to have him in our sessions as Shahzad, as the Shahzad, telling us of stories of the seven domes. And I will explain about those seven domes and the seven days and the seven stars and the seven uh, ladies. Uh, you can, everybody can marry, or seven husbands, you could say. Uh, because it is of a different kind. Everybody can have seven husbands or seven wives, but not in the normal sense of the word, in, in a higher level of being. But before that, I think it's better to go through the works of Nizami and um, to see how, what he has created. Altogether, his work is five versified book of about from 3,000 to 5,000 couplets, which are called a quintet, khamse, or the five treasuries, five treasures he has offered to humanity. In fact, one of his followers, Jami, who is himself a very great poet, he says that Nizami has offered us five treasures of gold. And then Amir Khosro followed him and offered five, five treasures of silver. And now I am following him and I'm offering five treasures of brass. My, my poetry is brazen rather than golden. Uh, and he is not far from truth because, in fact, Nizami says, um, I made a sword out of the diamond of my words, of my poetry, and then I decapitated, I cut off the head of all those who followed me. Tiq ze almas zaban saqtam, har ki piyamat sarash andaqtam. Tiq. Tiq ze almas tiq yes. I made a sword out of the diamond of my tongue, and then I uh, cut off the head of all who followed me. In fact, his first, uh, the first of the quintets is Mahzanul uh, Asrar, Treasury of Secrets. The first is Mahzanul uh, Asrar, or the treasury of secrets. In fact, it is a treasure of wisdom. It is an essay on man, you could say, not far from what Alexander Pope has said, but Pope's is a shorter work. This is about 3,000 couplets. Mahzanul uh, Asrar. Treasury of Secrets. Treasury of Secrets. And it is recorded that 500 poets, sorry, sorry, 400 poets have followed him and created a work in the same rhythm, in the same style, and none of them has even approached to him. The last of them was a very great philosopher, you know him, Mir Damad, who 
has claimed to be the third master, great master, after Arastu was the first master, and Farabi the second master, and he has called himself the third master. But he has followed Nizami, and nobody knows where his work is. It is a still a manuscript somewhere in National Library of Iran. And uh, so no one has been successful with Nizami. And what is, this is one of the exceptional aspects of the works of Nizami that uh, he has dismayed. Actually, he has said, look at my work, ye mighty and despair. Everybody has despaired of following Nizami, uh, although many have followed him. He has, great, has had great influence on Rumi, even Rumi. He, was, he respected Nizami greatly, and in his sermons and his lectures to his students, he often quoted Nizami, particularly from Mahsan al-Asrar, which is this treasury of secrets, is um, um, in fact the epic of man. Man in all his aspects, from earth to heaven and from heaven to earth. Uh, he reminds you of Shakespeare when he says, uh, what a piece of work is man, how noble in reason, how infinite in faculty, in action how like an angel, in thought how like a god, the glory of the world and paragon of animals. This is what the main theme of Mahsan al-Asrar, who is man in his greatest, uh, in his greatest level, in his greatest manifestation, and what has happened to man that he is so base now. See, this is the main theme of Mahsan al-Asrar. Mahsan al-Asrar. Mahzan. Yes, Mahzan. Oh yes, Khazani. Mahzan al-Asrar. And he, you know, Mahsan al-Asrar, like other works of Nizami, uh, starts with uh, an exordium in praise of God. And then invocation, he is constantly, in, in the beginning of all his books, he, is, uh, he has a dialogue with God. Oh my God, you have created me. You are so and so. Sometimes he says, well, don't hide yourself behind the moon, behind the sea, behind, behind the clouds. I, can, I know that they don't exist. Come out. Uh, don't cover yourself in these veils. I know, because he is, even before Muhyiddin al-Arabi, he is the one who, who promoted the cause of unity of being. And he said that there is only one absolute being, and besides that there is nothing at all. So he says, Take those veils away, even if the veil is me. Crush me and put me aside so that uh, uh, they would all uh, bear testament. This is by Nizami. Yeah, yeah. Means uh, put aside the curtain and come out from behind the veils. 
even if that veil is me. تا به تو اقرار خدایی دهند بر عدم خیش گواهی دهند so that all beings uh, would bear witness to your godhead to your godness and then they would bear witness to their nothingness بر عدم خیش گواهی دهند so he starts with uh, uh, the exordium the praise of god and the invocation first the exordium He introduces uh, God and uh, his uh, qualities, his attributes, the ways of God, how he behaves to, to, to the world, the ways of he, he justifies the ways of God. And he has such rare, he has created such rare gems of poetry in these sections. I, will, I would recite only two or three in Persian. Um, just uh, for as an example pardenishin kart sar khabra kisbat it is very difficult to to, act, to to explain it in english you know nizami is so so refined and so complicated that even educated iranian uh, people they can hardly follow it without extensive commentaries of uh, some great scholar. Even great scholars uh, like Nizami, for, like, sorry, like Jami, he says that uh, there are 400 poems by Nizami. I couldn't understand anything out of it. So I will stop Nizami in the Day of Judgment before he goes to paradise. And then I will stop him and I will say, okay, explain these poems and then go. <laughs> Because uh, he, he was... Uh, very sorry that he couldn't understand these 400. Out of those 400, about two or three hundreds was later known by other scholars. And recently, after those remained, I have done some service towards uh, clarification of uh, some difficult poems by Nizami. But he says, Nakhle Zabanra Rotabe Nushdat. This is the palm of the the palm of your tongue, which is, which is long like a palm. Uh, he has given uh, the dates, the sweet dates of, of words. نخل زبان را رتب نوش داد. در سخن را صدف گوش داد. And he has created uh, the shell of our ears to accept the pearl of, of poetry. So, And then after this uh, praise of God, he goes to uh, the holy apostle Muhammad and he praises him as a symbol of perfect man. He is also a forerunner of the theory of the perfect man. So he gives uh, an, an account of the journey of man from earth to heaven, the ascent of man, mi'raj. Mi'raj is the ascent of man. Of course, um, Muhammad symbolizes all yearnings in human hearts to go higher and higher and to approach to their creator. So, in a very symbolic language, using everything you can conceive from the stars 
from the clouds, from all flowers. He has taken all of them in his own service to explain to you uh, the very uh, unutterable feelings of our heart, uh, yearning in our heart towards God. And he has done something very strange and uh, very artistic. You know, Nizami is a museum of uh, proportions, a museum of harmony and melody and music. Not even in the words, but in his thought. Every part of his thought is somehow related to the other parts. And he believes in harmony as the essence of all goodness. He says that if you know harmonies, then that is science, that is philosophy. If you know the harmonies of the world, the proportions, the relationships, the symmetry, the concord, if you create those harmonies and display those harmonies, then you are an artist. If you follow according to the harmonies, then you are a religionist. Religion is to follow the harmonies in action. Art is to display the harmonies. And philosophy and science is to know the harmonies. If you know, for example, why this note and that note are in harmony, that's the science of music. If you play it, it is uh, art. But, and if you act according to these harmonies, whatever you do, you are constantly conscious of the harmonies and say, well, it is not harmonious to that. This way of speaking is not harmonious to this person. So uh, Nizami says we have a special tuning, tuning of humanity. And uh, in fact, morali uh, sorry, immorality and crime and whatever is bad is out of tune. As Shakespeare says, wrath is out of tune. Wrath, wrath, yes, wrath is out of tune. Crime is out of tune. Take but degree away, untune that string, and uh, hark what harsh discords would follow. So Nizami, about almost 400 years before Shakespeare, he has proposed this idea of harmonies and uh, that the human heart has a special tuning. And if he is out of tune, then uh, somebody has to tune, it, tune him up. And poetry tunes people up. Good poetry is, is the diapason. Uh, do you pron I, I pronounce it correctly? Diapason of humanity. So then he goes to the ascent of man in Mi'raj and uh, then he has a chapter in praise of poetry. And then you have to read Shelley and uh, Matthew Arnold or many others and uh, English poets who have said very wonderful things about poetry and then compare it with Nizami, what he has said of poetry. He says that poetry is generally speaking is uh, the 
is the tongue of the unseen. True poetry is the tongue of the unseen. And he calls himself the mirror of the unseen. And you know we call Hafiz, the greatest the lyric poet of Persia, the tongue of the hidden. So he says that every poet, every great poet, is the tongue of the hidden. Actually, poets are just one step behind the prophets. Prophets are the first, uh, in the first row, and then the nearest to them are the uh, poets. Because they have seen, they have had the vision of the same beloved. The prophets have seen God, and then they are, exp they are explaining, and they are giving address of his home, and his qualities, and so if you can come, if you want to know him, this is his picture, this is his telephone, this is his email, and so on. So, uh, so he, he says that uh, prophets are calling people to a God, to their beloved. Actually, there is, a, uh, there is a verse in the Quran that if you are in love with God, then follow me, I'll take you. In kuntum tuhibbun Allah, wattabi'uni. If you, are, if you uh, are in love with God, then follow me. So he says that after the prophets, uh, the poets come and follow the same uh, responsibility. They give the same message. And they are constantly calling people to uh, that uh, garden of beauty. Uh, Can you recite the lines in particular? Those lines, I know you know them. Uh, which one? To do with the prophets and the poets. That's and the of the old Yes. Yes. Pashuara Omadu Pisho Pasi Bast Safe Olia Pashuara Omadu Pish Ambia. In Donazar Mahrami Yekdustan. The two looks have seen the same beauty. In Donazar Mahrami Yekdustan. In Duchomars on the Garan Pustan. They are really the core and others are just the, the crust. In Duchomars on the Garan Pustan. Pisho Pasi Bast Safe Olia. Pashuara Omadu Pish Ambia. Sorry. Pisho Pasi Bast. There was a precedence and antecedence. Yes. In the line of. In the line of. Uh, Ambia, yes. Pisho Pasi. Bast Safe Olia. Pashuara Omadu Pish Ambia. Olia means the lovers. Means the lovers were divided into two lines, two rows. The first were the uh, the apostles, the prophets, and the second, uh, the prophets, the, the, the poets. So the first is who? The prophets. The, the prophets yes, the prophets. The, the poets. And you know, in in the West, also poetry and prophecy and prophethood are closely related. And then Nizami has a most beautiful section in the beginning as a preamble to Mahsan al-Asrar, and that is how, the, that is an account of his journey to uh, the 
garden of heart. He has gone to the garden of heart. In fact, he says, uh, I was in my solitude, and the hatefe khilwat means the speaker of the solitude, because they believe that when you are in complete silence and you concentrate, then a voice, you will hear a voice from within your heart. That is called hatef uh, or um, what you call it? Uh, hidden voice, a hidden voice. Oracle. Oh, oracle. The oracle, hidden yes. Oracle. The oracle of the heart. You will hear the, the voice of the oracle of the heart. And then he says that I heard the story of heart. I didn't know that heart existed at all. And then he told me that how is it that you are unhappy and sorrowful most of the time? Rise and be happy. Uh, and I said, well, what can I do? Um, he said that you have to go to the, to the house of heart. And then I went to the house of heart. But he has mixed it symbolically even with their physical realities. He said, I went to the house of heart and knocked at the door. And a voice said, who is that knocking at the door? I said, it is uh, a human being. I said, it is Adami. It's a real human being. And then he opened the door. Uh, and then I went and I spoke to the heart and I said, well, I want to be your student. I want to be your disciple. And he accepted me as a disciple uh, because he was a perfect man. Uh, you know, the, the sure sign of being perfect is being in service of other people. And Sheikh Mahmoud says that uh, if you want to know who is the perfect man, the perfect man is the person who does perfect service to humanity. So he says that heart was in my service. So he was my, my, my servant. And he accepted me as a student and he relieved me from the grasp of all cares and sorrows. And one day he took me by the hand and, and we went to a garden. And then I wish some Iranian or maybe European uh, artists would read this wonderful uh, passage in Mahsan al-Asrar about this garden. It is a magical garden. It is so beautiful. It is so wonderful. Every little piece of it is alive. And the, 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 the rivers, it is just like uh, what Shakespeare says, that you, you will find books in brooks, in the running brooks, and tongues in trees, and sermons in stones and good in everything. In that garden, uh, you can uh, hear, you can hear this, the praise of God from all beings. And then in that garden, it happens that the wind takes away the veil of a lady. And then he and the heart, who were together, they fall in love with the lady. The lady. And then he, ex he describes the face of that lady and the behavior of that lady. And then he goes to a circle of friends. And then he shows you what real friendship means. There are a group of friends who are all in love with the lady. So they are sitting together all through the night. No one wants to go to sleep. They all want to be awake, to look at each other. And then... They are happy that there is no, no 
morning bird to sing because the morning bird was uh, the head of the morning bird bird was cut off خروس سحر رو آتش مرغ سحر از باب زن بر جگر خوشنمکان آب زن it's very complicated that uh, it was on fire the cock the cock was on fire being uh, uh, grilled and the fire was a, was a cold water to our heart because we enjoyed that there would not be any uh, cock to sing untimely and put an end to our uh, to our white night because this night yes it was the nightingale not the lark uh, yes yeah yeah that's nightingale the uh, harbinger of the morning yes so he says that the cock was being uh, grilled but in the end finally it is the day breaks and then he sighs such cold sigh that the sun was extinct out of his coldness and then this is one of the most wonderful parts i have written an article um, in the beginning of my masnul asrar in persian my version or edition of masnul asrar and i have explained what he means by this garden after that there are 20 uh, there is also a section about dedication of the book to bahram shah ghaznavi a great king uh, not Ghaznavi, but uh, Bahram Shah Saljuri. And uh, then there are 20 discourses, 20 chapters. Uh, the first chapter is on the status of man. Who is man? How he was created? And then this is where he praises man to its utmost uh, perfection. And then in the next one and the third one, he explains how what has happened to man, that he is so base and he is even lower than animals um, and he is exhorting constantly that uh, how is it that you are so such a lofty place you have left that lofty place and you have come down in this prison this is maxim lasrar and in every chapter there is also a very short anecdote a very some of them are really gems of wisdom uh, I will tell you just one, that once Freydun, the king of Persia, goes out for hunting, and then he sees a gazelle on the way, and it is so, Nezami says, it was so beautiful that uh, disarmed all enmity, disarmed all cruelty, all violence, uh, the, the gazelle said his, his beautiful eyes and his, the curve of his neck was telling, oh, don't hurt me. See, he wants to say that beauty is interceder of all violence. It stops all violence. If you see beauty, then you will not do violence. So there are 20 short anecdotes. And then he asks, he is trying to uh, throw an arrow to the gazelle, but the arrow doesn't go. He said, well, don't you see such beauty? I won't go to... Uh, to beat him, to hurt him. The next uh, 
work, great work of Nizami, of the Quintet, Khamse, or the Five Treasuries, is Khosro uh, Shirin, the name of two lovers. Khosro is the Persian king, Sassanid kings, and Shirin is an Armenian girl who is so sweet. His name is actually Shirin, sweet. She is really a sweetheart. And uh, in fact, Nizami, out of uh, a local legend, uh, he has borrowed, of course, certain things. Originality is not in borrowing things. Uh, I mean, is not in abstaining from borrowing things. You can borrow things, but uh, Nizami was such great alchemist that he transformed that ordinary legend into uh, a work of art, of eternal values. This is what Shakespeare has done with whatever he has borrowed from, for example, Plutarch, and he has breathed his own life into it. So his originality is his own uh, alchemic uh, powers. So... This is a tragedy uh, which is, of course, a little bit different from other tragedies because in tragedies usually the lovers don't uh, marry or don't uh, have any consummation. Uh, but here they get married and they have a life and then at the end uh, the king is killed, is murdered by his son by his son and uh, uh, Shirin promises the son that okay I will marry you because uh, the son had done that just to get uh, Shirin then when he when they go to the burning, I mean, uh, to bearing uh, sight, uh, then suddenly Shirin uh, commits suicide and kills herself with a dagger. And there is a very beautiful painting, miniature painting, that uh, Shirin is uh, committing suicide and uh, everybody is unhappy and uh, it is, there is so much sorrow here down but in the sky there are two angels waiting for the soul of Shirin to come and they are so peaceful and such, he has created such peace above and such uh, cares and uh, sorrowful atmosphere down uh, I want to uh, speak more about Khosrow Shirin and other works because um, our main work is uh, the fourth one which is the seven portraits but I'll just tell you that the third is Leilio Majnun is a higher level of love again here they don't uh, have any consummation they, it is all sighs fair, sighing like a furnace here you are reminded of the lover who is sighing like a furnace. But uh, towards the end, there is one point 
uh, that is very important that uh, the love of Majnun, the lover is Majnun, and the beloved is Layli. This was again um, a legend, an Arab uh, legend of maybe four or five hundred years old. And in Arabic poetry, there is so much reference to Layla or Layli as it is it's pronounced Lala or Layli or Lili, mostly Layla in Arabic. But he has, he has again created a very wonderful work of art out of that uh, legend of little uh, interest because it was most of the time in, in a gloomy atmosphere and he has kept the atmosphere but he has created so much life and jolliness uh, although it is very tragic. Uh, in the last part, when uh, Majnun hears of the death of Layli, because Layli dies, when he hears, uh, love is so great here that he doesn't need to go to, like Juliet, I mean like Romeo, to go to the apotheki and to the drug man and ask for poison. He just uh, goes to the grave of Lely and then he hugs uh, the, the earth and then dies. He says, oh, my, my, my beloved, and then he dies. Ey dost begoftu chon torbat dost dar baravard, ey dost begoftu jan baravard. Lely Majnun is a symbol of man's love for God. If you read how he describes Layli, you will see, you will be sure that it is God. He gives all the attributes and qualifications of God to Layli. And then to Majnun, all the qualifications and characteristics of a lover. Because a lover, as Shakespeare says, a lunatic, a lover and a poet, they are closely related. So Majnun is the lover, as well as a poet. He has the three in one because Majnun was a poet. Majnun Qaysa Amiri. He was an Arab poet. And then he was mad. He was frenzied. Of course, a fine frenzy. And then he was uh, a lover as well. And so, Nizami himself says that uh, this is uh, a higher level of love. He, he starts from earthly or human love, and then gradually uh, rises up to uh, platonic or divine love. Of course, I'm sorry that platonic love has changed its meaning in the course of time, and now they use it in other words. But platonic love is love for the absolute rather than for the particular. Now, uh, we come to the four fourth of the quintet which is the seven portrait this may be the apex the highlight of high water mark you could say of uh, Persian literature Persian romantic literature uh, this is the story again of a Sassanid king Bahram Gur Bahram is a very courageous, brave, strong person. When 
the, the crown of kingship is put between two lions and then they say who can get it out of the grasp of two lions and then he just with uh, his sword he pushes the lions away and hurts them, kills them and then gets the crown so he is well worthy of the crown I will tell you the story later in our tomorrow and our next sessions but uh, I just uh, here uh, tell you one part of the story of Hat Pekar or seven portraits that this Bahram had a very great palace which is called Khovarnaq Khovarnaq yes Khovarnaq made by an Arab uh, king uh, but by a Persian architect so once he happens to find a door in the palace which is closed and he had not seen it before he says how is it that uh, this door is closed and locked and then they, they bring the key and he opens the door and he goes into it and suddenly he sees that it's a very vast area and a big hole gorgeously painted all around and uh, there are seven portraits uh, of seven ladies of seven colors of black of an Indian lady a lady from China a lady from Russia a lady a white uh, of different colors so he asked his vizier his minister what are those pictures he says that they are seven princesses each of them the daughter of a great king contemporary king so he decides to marry all the seven all the seven so uh, when he becomes the king of Persia after the death of his father uh, he uh, marries he proposes and marries the seven girls and brings them to his castle and he builds a very great castle of seven domes of seven domes with seven colors for every day of the week. Now let me explain how it works. That uh, you see the system of our week uh, and the system of our uh, mythological astronomy is very is closely related to that of Western cultures, although they seem to be different. We start from Shambhe, the first day of the week we call Shambhe. The first day of the week, which is Saturday. We start from Saturday. Saturday. The first day of the week, he goes to the Lady of the Black. Because Saturn, Saturday belongs to the planet Saturn and Saturn seems to be black in the sky so the first day of the week is black is black and he goes to the lady and the lady tells him the story of a king who is always wearing black and nobody knows why that's a secret and uh, they try to find 
why they ask him and he tells them the story of how he happened to uh, go to the city of to a city in China where all people wear black suits and then it's very interesting the story I will tell you tomorrow um, uh, I will we'll go through the story and the commentary uh, the mystical commentary I have about it so the first day is black the second day is Sunday we say Yekshanbe it is very interesting that we say Yekshanbe means the first actually so this is actually the first in English, although the, the week starts from Monday, but they say that Sunday is the first day of the week. So because the, this is really the first. Why? Because this is black. Black is God when he is hidden. Black is all colors when it is not reflected. When light goes to a body which doesn't reflect any part of the light and absorbs all then it is black right so black means everything black means uh, silence is more important than speech and black is more important than all other colors because uh, yellow is just one part of the light but this is all so black is a symbol of uh, absolute hiddenness of God when there was God and there was no one else, completely hidden, no creation, he was uh, in his absolute uh, solitude. So, but the first day, that is why Sunday is the first day, because the sun rises out of this black night. Out of this black night, the sun rises. So this is the first, this is creation. The first day of creation, the sun, uh, actually, uh, God is light, according to the Quran and to many other cultures, God is light. Of course, William Blake says God is light for those who are in darkness, but God is a human being for those who are in light. Yeah. If you are in darkness, then God appears as uh, light for you. But if you are in, in light, then you will see him in the image of man. And it's very, um, it's a very refined point. So Sunday is the first day. Bahram goes to the uh, lady of uh, the yellow, because sun is yellow. So this is black, and this is yellow. The second day of the week. I mean, according to us, and then Monday. Monday is actually moon's day. It's the day of the moon, which is green. They believed in the past that moon was green. And if we see it silver, it is because of the light of the sun, which is reflected. While the color of the moon itself, they believed that it was uh, green. Shakespeare says that the green moon. There are many references to the green moon. So... This is Moon's Day, and uh, the color is green. And it, be it belongs to the ladies, because moon uh, and women are of the same nature. 
and because moon is uh, the deputy of the sun when the sun sets it is moon that does the job of the sun so uh, women are expected to show us the light we have lost a woman is the moon he has since he has a very lofty status he can see still he can see the sun and then he can get the light from the sun and give it to the earth that is in our uh, in in persian mysticism they believe that the responsibility and the role of a woman in the world is to show the light of god and that is why in other cultures also they believe that a woman is a presence of god any woman is a presence of god although for certain reasons they uh, do not show that light properly but if a person is uh, has the sight enough to see he will see god the presence of a woman is the presence of god particularly when he is in love when he is in love there is no doubt that you are sure that you are in the presence of god so this is in the third day there is the very beautiful story about ladies there is a lady who is uh, i will tell you the story later and then the fourth day uh, is uh, tuesday which is actually mars's day or the day of the mars because tues was the goddess was the god of uh, war was the god of war and seshambe uh, uh, yes Uh, you know, in French they say Mardi. It means Mars's day, the day of the Mars. Mars is red, and red means happiness. Red means two things. One is love. Red is the color of love. So it is man. This is man, because they are lovers. They are uh, even they if they sacrifice their blood for love. that is another relation between mars and red redness they have to fight for their sweet for their lady and then uh, here nizami tells you the story of a lover of a prince who is in love with a lady and he wears a red dress and why he explains why so Uh, then we have wednesday which is the according to english system is the fourth day of the week the fourth day of the week and we say chahar shambe see we use the word chahar so it is actually chahar means the fourth day uh, not the fifth day although if you start from here it is the fifth day but we call it chahar shambe because this is zero shambe this is zero shambe this is first second third fourth right so they are quite compatible and wednesday has the color of turquoise it is a turquoise blue and it uh, uh, belongs to mercury mercury 
is the god of uh, uh, of uh, merchants. Actually, they say merc, merchant, mercantile. See, they are all related to Mercury. Uh, and uh, in our culture, in our traditions, they believe that Mercury is a writer, a great writer. He's Dabir of this. Uh, he is uh, in charge of the accountings. So it has some relationship with knowledge, with worldly knowledge, with Mr. Worldly Wiseman, are all related to Mercury. So, and Odin's day, this is uh, actually, uh, Odin was equivalent to Mercury in, Ut in uh, Nordic, uh, I mean, in the mythology of the Norse. So it is actually Odin's day who was uh, also uh, an invulnerable man. So the fourth day, uh, this is really uh, very interesting. I'll tell you the story of uh, the lady. You know, these stories are narrated by the lady of that dome. So the lady of the dome of the uh, turquoise blue, he tells a very interesting story of a man who is in transactions and he is a merchant. And then uh, shows how he happens to lose his way in the, in the wilderness of the world. And so many giants deceive him every moment. And he is relieved from one giant, and then he is in the grasp of another giant. And he goes from giant to giant until he finally finds himself. He says that I found someone who was exactly of my own shape. He was exactly my own face. So he was my chesr, or my savior, uh, and then uh, Nizami wants to say in the long run uh, you will find yourself as the greatest master and your own heart will save you so this is uh, Wednesday and then we have Thursday which is a lucky day a day of it's a blissful day of, it belongs to Jupiter because Taurus and in uh, Donnerstag in, in German, they say, because it is the thunder. And thunder rela is related to Jupiter, because thunder is a symbol of Jupiter and his power. In fact, thunder uh, is a speaking of God, according to Alexander Pope. So, Thursday, which is actually Thursday, sorry, it is Thursday, but it has been... It's related to Thor, uh, who was, um, again, a god. And he is the equivalent of Jupiter or Jove or um, Zeus in Greece. And the color is uh, brown, light brown. We say sandali, sandal, sandalwood. It's the color of sandalwood. So Nezami says that this is the most uh, uh, lucky and uh, uh, fortunate day. And you know in English is also this Thursday has certain relationship, some relationship with, uh, um, I mean the, the day before Good Friday is uh, Thursday and there are certain rituals and it is considered to be holy and, uh, and uh, 
blissful and fortunate. And then the last day, uh, this belongs to uh, the star uh, Jupiter, uh, as well as the king Jupiter, I mean the god. So the last day is Friday. Friday, which is also Fry, is the name of a god, which is equivalent to Venus. So it belongs to Venus. In Persian mythology and in Persian astrology, it is related to Venus. And it is white, because Venus is the whitest of the stars. So, uh, these are the seven days of the week, and these are the seven colors, and uh, then from black to white, from most hidden to most uh, apparent, to most brilliant. So this is the story of creation at the same time. And then the circle starts again, and then from white it goes to black. And then it starts all over again. So these are, uh, this is the core of the story of seven portraits. So in each of these seven days, uh, Bahram goes to one of these ladies who are one particular manifestation of God. Because they believe that God, sometimes they divide the main manifestations of God in three in three, which are the three graces, truth, beauty, and goodness. These are three attributes of God. Some make it seven. And here you will see the seven manifestations. And so Nizami wants to say that you have to enjoy yourself every day of the week with a lady most beautiful. And if you are a lady with a prince most beautiful uh, who represents that aspect of being that aspect of life, that aspect of manifestation of God, which can uh, inspire you in that particular day. And you should not lose the quality of each day. You should, not, you should be also a good merchant. You should, be, uh, you should try to be the moon, like the moon. See, you have to acquire the qualities of these seven planets. So the last... Uh, the fifth uh, work of Nizami is uh, the story of Alexander. It is called Eskandar Nome. It means this, the story of Alexander. Of course, this is here a mixture of uh, a legend and history. He has adopted certain facts from history about Alexander, but it is mostly legendary. He makes a prophet out of Alexander and uh, tells such wonderful stories about the life of Alexander, how he goes after the elixir of life in the uh, darkness, in the absolute darkness. So, beside these five works, he has a, also a collection of uh, lyrics of sonnets, if you could say, and other traditional uh, Persian forms of poetry. 
like, uh, for example, qaside or ode or ballad or things like that. He has a good collection of that, which are, of course, of a very good quality, but not comparable to his quintet. And that is why few people know about the other works of Nizami and his sonnets, because his sonnets have been overshadowed by Sadi and Hafiz and Rumi. But uh, his quintet has not been overshadowed by any great poet coming after him. Well, I think, is that, uh, have we fulfilled our time? Or? Oh, yes. yes. So I hope that uh, with this uh, brief introduction from tomorrow, we can uh, go deeper into this uh, seven portraits uh, and the stories and... Uh, then I will give you a ref- some reference, references for further reading, uh, both in Persian and English. Yeah. Thank you. Maybe, maybe you'd like to take some questions. Yes, yes please. Yes. Why not? Yes. Ustadi. Midad chun nazm namera peach. Chun nazm namera peach. Well, I have been a friend of Nizami since I was uh, almost half a century since I was eight or nine years old. And I have been memorizing the poems. And I remember that when my father uh, recited, my father was a very good singer. Uh, So every morning he sang for us. And we often uh, rose with the singing of my father. And he started from Nizami. ای نام تو بهترین سراغاز بی نام تو نام کی کنم باز Yes, in the beginning of uh, لیلی و مجنون Or sometimes ای همه هستیز تو پیدا شده خاک ضعیف از تو توانا شده I forgot to tell you about a little bit uh, about uh, the, the rhythm of these five uh, because each of them is in a different uh, rhythm and I wonder how Edward Brown says that he didn't like the rhythm of Mahsan al-Asrar, while it is so jolly that I think that if you recite um, a number of poems, you cannot sit any longer. You have to rise and dance. See, gradually it warms you up and uh, it creates a sort of sama and whirling and dancing. Follows a different tradition. It is true that uh, 
gifts have been given to them. I read uh, a very useful essay, a very insightful essay, about a brown piece of paper, a brown piece of paper. Uh, an artist is explaining how brown is the best uh, background uh, for any sort of painting, not white. He says it's because, and he explains that brown is somewhere in the border of existence and non-existence. You see, for different reasons, different attributes have been given to these colors. For example, blue is uh, uh, here. No, this is it. Yes, turquoise. Uh, it means purity. It means uh, piety. This is turquoise. Mercury, turquoise blue. Turquoise blue. Let me give you um, uh, my own visiting card. Yes. 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 
Yes. There's an exception here. Yes. Yes, you are exactly right. Yes, please. Ahlul Bayt, yes. Now, on one occasion, a group of people were bragging of some Arabs. I am from the clan of Thais. And I am, the other one said, I am from the clan of Tamim. They told him, how about you, Salman? He said, Abi al-Islam, laysa abi siwahu, inna staqharu bi Thaisin al Tamim. Yes. Well, well, I agree with you partly that uh, poetry is a means to an end. Even prophecy is an, a means to an end. The Quran is a means to an end. They are all invitation cards to the uh, feast or banquet of God. But uh, I don't agree with you that uh, lower poets who did not exactly follow the uh, line of religion were totally absurd and they did no service. Even Mutanabi, for example, the great uh, uh, Arab poet, Rumi himself was a lover of Mutanabi, and he often read Mutanabi so much, actually, that Shams blamed him, that how is it that you constantly read Mutanabi? Because of the beauty. Sometimes the means is the message, sometimes is the beauty itself. If you create something beautiful, that is an end in itself. Beauty leads, is a leader to God is a reminder of God. Beauty, beauty is the salutation of God to man. Even nature is a salutation. He, 
He tells you hello from a flower, hello from the sun. From every beautiful thing, you hear uh, that uh, greeting of God. So there are some poets who just give you the basic ideas of beauty in the form. And then gradually there are poets who have both the beauty of the form and the beauty of the content. Nezami has uh, joined, and actually has uh, both of them to the utmost perfection. Some, for example, Rumi is also perfect in both cases. Some people believe that uh, Rumi was not uh, a great artist in, in, in words. He was. He was. Um, but uh, there are poets who were great artists in, in building beautiful edifices by words, because poetry is, is architecture. But they could not communicate any a basic message. Um, so I think that uh, Ferdowsi, for example, Ferdowsi is actually a great uh, mystic because uh, although he has done great job and great uh, service to Iranian nation in general, and he has revived our tradition, our culture, our language, everything. We, uh, no nation, I think, is more in debt to a single poet than Iranians to Ferdowsi. Yeah. But, uh, so, but the main idea of Shahnameh is the constant clash between man and devil. See, Shahnameh is the story of man and devil. All through Shahnameh, from the very first. The first story is the story of Kiyomars, and then the devil appears. But Siamak, the son of Kiyomars, is killed. And then Hushang kills the devil. And then the devil comes. And then the man. Sometimes the man is predominant. That is paradise. When man conquers, when man conquers the devil, he is in paradise. That is the golden age. That is the time of Jamshid. The first part, of course, not the end, not the end. And if the devil is the conqueror, conquers man, that is hell. And if they are in clash, they are fighting against each other, that is purgatory. But is there the, you see, the, the notion of purgatory is man-made. Is there purgatory? In, in, I mean, e even Nazar Fabani, who was one of those prophet poets, yes. one of his poems, Yes, yes. Although it doesn't seem to be so. You know, in poetry you are not speaking of facts and figures. A poet says, no, there is no, no land between hell and paradise. But it doesn't mean that there is no purgatory. In order to get to that land, of course, there is only paradise, and then the hell. 
It is either that you can uh, have rule over all your passions, which are devils, or the passions have rule over you. It's either this or that. But there is something between. Between every two contradictions, there is, this is the fuzzy logic here. You see, there is um, a gradual ascent of man from the depths of the hell to paradise. You could say when you come to almost to the end of the hell and you, you start entering between here and here, there is some states of consciousness. Purgatory is not a land or a place. It's a state of consciousness that you are neither in hell, you are not completely subjugated by devil. You are fighting. So as Robert Browning says that when you are not fighting against the devil, nobody gives you any value in the world. The angels say, well, he is a man, he is a captive in the hand of devils. And, uh, but when you rise and say, no, I don't want to be your captive any longer, I want to fight you, then everybody, you attract the attention of angels and say, oh, a person, a man has risen to fight against the devils and come to us. Something happens. That's a great event. So there is surely uh, something between paradise and hell, although you can't say that there is a land between them. What Persian word would you use for purgatory? A'raf. A'raf. Barzakh and A'raf. In Arabic, A'raf. And in uh, Persian, we say Barzakh. Actually, Saadi says, Huran Behishti ra Duzakh bovad A'raf. A'raf is a place when if the uh, angels of paradise go to Araf, then this is a hell for them. But if the people of the hell go to Araf, this is a paradise. I would just like to make a comment. Yes. Sadi, the poem is that the, for, the, for the celestial maidens in, in um, uh, for the celestial maidens, Araf is, uh, is actually hell. Yeah. So ask the dwellers in hell because purgatory is paradise. Yeah. Ask us who dwell in, in hell, purgatory is paradise, which I think Dr. Gauthier's yeah. talk itself yeah. is, is paradise. Mm-hmm. It, may not be par- it may not be paradise, but for myself, yeah. it's, uh, I'll also, take it as paradise. Yeah. Well, also, also, the word barzakh in Persian doesn't really, as far as I know, mm-hmm. uh, never refers to a place, but to a state. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I am in, in, in yeah. purgatory, yeah. not as a place, but as a That state. is what we say, isthmus. In geography, and uh, Alexander Pope says that, uh, uh, know then thyself, presume not God to scan. The proper study of mankind is man. Placed in this isthmus of middle state, in doubt to call himself a beast or a god. A being darkly wise or rudely grave. Yes. Now, you talked about beauty. There's profane beauty, and there's finer beauty. For example, people talk about Picasso's work being beautiful. I consider it profane beauty, which would take you to Alam uh, the, 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 the word of... Uh, of uh, well, I don't, I don't believe that we have profane beauty. Uh, beauty is sacred, whatever it is. It is our approach to beauty which can be profane. That's right. 
you see a beautiful girl, and then you, you just have certain devilish ideas, and then that is uh, profane. But the beauty is not profane. Let's agree to differ what Al-Mutanabi, when he calls, what is his name, Kafur al-Ikhshidi, who was a black man, who was a very wise scholar, because he was black, don't buy the nigger without buying the stick with him. The niggers are dirty, uh, miserable, or something like that. Now, is that, would you call Al Mutanabi a wise man? Uh, he was, uh, according to his own state of consciousness, he was wise, of course. Otherwise, he couldn't uh, compose those beautiful poems.